Hey, welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and to trust Him more. To keep up with us or to get more information, visit celebrationchurchlive.com. Well, we are in the uh, fourth part of our Christmas Lights series, and this is just simply about looking at the, the different lights um, we need to uh, turn on and have illuminated. Uh, uh, my wife picks on me all the time um, that she can tell when I'm home because all the lights will be on because I just walk through and I just start clicking lights on, and so and I just I just like the house uh, illuminated. I just like it and she's like it was cozy I'm like I can't see <laughs> and, and turn the light on and uh, and so but there are lights that we need to go through and turn on for us to be able to fully embrace um what Christmas is, is really genuinely all about. Um, and so if you've got your bulletin, if you've got your Bible app, however it is you're gonna track with us, we've led off with this idea that the truth of Christmas shines light on the truth of God's love. Week one, we talked about the light of worship. If Christmas isn't about worship, especially for you and I as, as believers, we're missing something. We're missing something. It ought to be about a heart of worship and, and recognizing that the king of kings was, was given to us. That's, that's, that's pretty, pretty remarkable. Pretty remarkable. There's also a space where that we need to, to turn on the light of sharing. And it's not just about the gift giving thing, it's about sharing our testimony, what God has done in our lives. And we, we read through Luke chapter two and read through the, the, the Christmas story. We see everybody sharing what they had experienced, whether it's the wise men, whether it's the shepherds, the angels just couldn't withhold it and they want to declare it. It's a season of sharing. And when you turn that light on, when you turn the light of peace, we looked at last week. This can be a time of strife. This can be a time of anxiety. This can be a time of tension. There's just so much going on. And if we don't intentionally turn the light of peace on, then all of a sudden we can end up just looking for the, for the Christmas time to, for it to be something we get through instead of something we get something through. And God wants to get something to us through this Christmas, not us just get through Christmas. And then we looked at this place, uh, uh, what we're looking at is the, the light, the light of peace, I mean the light of love today. And this is the light we need to have on, turned on the most. Because if this one's clicked off, the truth is, is we're really not gonna worship. We're really not gonna share. We're really not gonna have peace unless love is engaged. Now we've all gathered here in the Christmas season. There's lots of things we maybe could be doing and you're here on a Sunday morning near Christmas time. You're here on purpose. And so as we're about to look at this, this warning that Paul gives the Corinthian church, this is a warning that applies to you and I. But see in it that there's a, there's a pat on the back and a warning at the same time. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. He writes, he says, But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, that your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion 
to Christ. He recognized that they were devoted and their devotion was sincere and pure. I would hope that the Apostle Paul met me, that he would say that I was devoted to Jesus and that it was sincere and pure. That's, that's a huge compliment. That's what every believer wants. The temptation is we can think that if we arrive there, that somehow we've kind of put something on lock and everything is good. We can just kind of like, okay, we're, we're good. But Paul recognizes that the enemy doesn't rest. And he doesn't go, okay, guess what? Um, yeah, I see that you have sincere and pure devotion. I'm just going to move on to the next person. Can't touch them. No, no, no. That he's going to be cunning and he's going to attack your mind and try to get your mind off into a place it shouldn't be and begin to attack that sincere that pure devotion. So during this season, that's, that's why we're turning these lights on. Because the light of the truth, it, it pushes out the light of, the, of the, the darkness of the lies. It pushes them out. It puts us in a place where we can combat what the enemy does in our life. And there's a space where sometimes something is, should be obvious, but something else comes in and obscures it. It kind of makes it where you can't see it the way it really is. And the truth is, is that at Christmas time, there's a lot of things we do to obscure, especially when it comes to gift giving. Man, we wrap our gifts to obscure them. More than likely, you don't just have all your stuff unwrapped sitting under the tree. And then your kid's just sitting there looking at that thing every day, going, huh? My, my dream gift that's sitting right there. I see, no, you've, you've got it wrapped and you've wrapped it in such a way to try to obscure it where they can't figure out exactly what it is that you've wrapped it so that you don't know what, it's, what it really is about, what's really been given. But then there's a space where sometimes the, the kids can get sneaky. They can go over there and grab the gifts Shake them, squeeze them, weigh them, begin to figure it out and put it all together. And we have seven kids. And when our oldest five, when they were, when they were young, man, they were not supposed to touch the gifts, but then they would do it. They would touch the gifts and they would do that. They would figure it out. Like, Ooh, I feel like this is, this is this thing that you asked for. And this is this thing that I asked for. And, and so we had to learn that we had to take obscuring to a whole other level. And so we did not have to just obscure what the gift was. We had to obscure who it was for. So we devised these codes and instead of on the name tags, we didn't put their names. We, I created a code. So I would know whose was whose, um, but they would not know whose was whose. And the first code I did, I just have to admit, I, I, just, I did not give my kids um, intelligence uh, enough credit. And so they, they busted the code. They busted the code pretty quick. And so um, now they were, you know, the first time they're all about 
eight and under. So, hey, you know, I, I, but they were, they were smarter. And so um, I, I just used symbols, you know, just some, some symbols to be able to do it. And, and the symbol had the number of sides um, that was their birth order. So Carson, who was the fifth, well, you know, his was a pentagon. Weston, who was a, the third, his was a triangle. And so they, they pretty much figured it out pretty quick. And then, but the next year, I'm like, I'm taking this, I'm taking this up a notch. So I took their birthdays and just squared them, okay? So we have someone born on the 3rd. We have someone born on the 26th. We, we have di- different things that, that we had different birthdates. So all of a sudden, now none of them had done any sort of algebraic anything. You know, <laughs> Keenan was 10 years old and math has never been the boy's strong suit. He can preach the house down, but <laughs> math has never been his strong suit. So, so that code, that code held up. And so, and, but so here are all these gifts that were under the tree and it was obscured what it actually was. And it was obscured who it was for. And the truth is, is that that is the direct opposite of what God intends. He doesn't want to obscure what he's given and he doesn't want to obscure who it's for at all. The truth is, is that Christmas is about the love that God has for all of us. Let's look at Luke chapter two, verse 10. It says, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So it's good news, great joy for everybody. It's just absolutely unobscured. This is what's going on. This is something wonderful, and it is for everybody. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This was be a sign to you, and you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. That it's a Savior for all of us. Not just for the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not just for the people who walk out the law and do everything just right. Not just for the people who are born to the right families and do the right things. It's, it's for all of us. It's a savior for everybody. And love reminds us that that is what this is about. That God gave, in fact, in John chapter 3, verse 16, you know it well. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We shouldn't obscure anything about God's heart during this season. Love shines the light on what this time is about. It's it's a time of forgiveness. It's a time of restoration. It's a time of joy. It's a time of peace. And it's for all of us. If you're here in this room and you feel excluded, you feel like some decision you've made or something you've done has pushed you out and maybe some well-intending person with some obscured theology told you that because of a decision you've made that God has pushed you away and alienated you. And I want you to know the message of Christmas is you're not alienated. 
the message of Christmas is the Savior's come to you. Now you're going to have to decide, are you going to receive the Savior? But the Savior is for you. He's come for you. See, the greatest expression of the meaning of Christmas is to love. As we look in John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus tells his disciples, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. During this time period, you can drive down some streets and see a lot of beautiful lights and a lot of decorations and you'll run across some homes that have some sort of sign out front that says Jesus is the reason for the season. And I love that. I love that we're reminded that Jesus is the reason for the season. And some, some households, they'll, they'll have the nativity out front. And then you've got that old school nativity that's been around forever. It's plastic. It's been airbrushed. And it's got the wise men and the camel. You go buy all the pieces. And you got the, got the little baby Jesus in the manger. And, and you got to make sure he's plugged in. And your little baby Jesus is glowing like everything else. And, and so we've got those. And, and I love those. I have nothing wrong with them. There's nothing wrong with them. It's a beautiful declaration. But the truth is, is that in that moment, we, we, see a, we see a plastic Jesus. And if we take love out of Christmas, all we're left with is a plastic Jesus. All we're left with is something that is some, some sad, reduced vision of what it is really about when really how the world is going to see the real Jesus is not our signs that say Jesus is the reason for the season. Those are wonderful. Keep them up. It's not just our, our mangers out front. Please keep them up. But the way they're going to know we're really his disciples is when we see that a flesh and blood Jesus made a difference on our flesh and blood. That all of a sudden now we are expressions of the love that God has already shed. He loved us first and now we can therefore love. That we, we are celebrating the fact that the God of the universe put skin on and came down, was born of a virgin, was laid in a manger, lived a life, grew, began his ministry, did miracles, showed us what the Father is really like, was betrayed, was nailed to a cross, was placed in a borrowed grave, didn't stay in that grave, came out, showed himself alive and true and vibrant and ascended to the heavens and will come again. A flesh and blood Jesus will come again. And the way you and I represent that flesh and blood Jesus is by loving one another. We removed that and we've reduced it to a plastic Jesus. The flesh and blood Jesus makes a difference on our flesh and blood. Helps us to be able to love those around us. Colossians chapter three, verse 12 says, therefore as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, 
See, for you to love, you have to remember that you're loved. That you've been dearly loved. As God's chosen people, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. See, love is something we have to put on on purpose. We have to embrace on purpose. Because we, you and I, as wonderful and as sweet as all of you are in this room, I know you're all wonderful folks, but here's the truth. You're hard to love. I know because I'm hard to love. And there are those who are a little harder than others, but we're all a challenge to love. Over the long haul, we're all difficult. Why? Because even though we are heaven ready, our spirits are alive in Christ. We are ready to be in the presence of God. Our spirits are, but our souls are still in process. And while we're periodically missing it on the love front, in those spaces, we're hurting one another. We're making it difficult on one another. We're offending one another. And in this space, we have to purposely choose to put on love. First Peter 4, 8 says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. I think it's pretty remarkable that the place where we get the phrase love covers a multitude of sins is not the moment where love covered a multitude of sins. We get this phrase not in a reference to Jesus willingly going to the cross, willingly allowing himself to be nailed to a cross for you and I. And that love covering all the sin of humanity. No, we get the phrase love covering a multitude of sin here in reference to you and I loving one another. Love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sin. You know why? Because for you and I to be to continue life together, we've got to have that kind of love. Why? Because there's a multitude of sin. There's a multitude of times where we're forgetful. We're purposely hurtful. We respond out of our own hurt. And for you and I to stay connected, we have to choose to love. And love covers a multitude of sin. And not just the sin where somebody, oh, I get it, that they didn't mean to. No, where you're convinced they meant to. And you're convinced if they had the chance, they'd do it again. Now, love doesn't mean putting yourself in a place of vulnerability, but love says, I'm going to choose to see God's image in that person and respond to them based on God's design, not on my pain. Love covers a multitude of sin. So as we begin to embrace love and let love infiltrate 
every area of our celebration of Christmas, there's some spaces where in a practical way, we can let love show up. Because love is one of those things we can honestly, we can just kind of talk about to go, oh, yeah, yeah, it's all about love. And like, well, what does that really look like? How does that really function? Well, there's some practical ways. And the first one is, is to, to love, let's let every gift Every present be a gift of love. Now, there's some gifts right now you can't wait to give. You're so excited. You've bought that thing for the person you, you love so much and you know there it's going to bless them and you can't wait to give that one. And love is all over that gift. But let's be honest. There's some other gifts um, you're not that excited about giving. <laughs> That gift you got to take to the office Christmas party, you're like, I don't even want to go to that thing, much less give a gift. And you were scrounging around in the back of the closet to see if Aunt Sally gave you something you can like you didn't open yet. And you're gonna re-gift that. They'll they'll never know. I'm taking that to the office Christmas party because more than likely I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to give my gift to Ralph and Ralph's a punk and I don't want to give Ralph nothing. <laughs> But it's a moment. If you are interacting with someone in a place of some kind of generosity, God wants that to be a space where love is exchanged. So yes, the, the, the places where love is naturally flowing out, let it flow out. But this season and the gifts that maybe you're not as excited about giving, Maybe it's the one you're having to send to school with your kid for the little gift exchange. You have one more thing you had to go to the store for. Let your heart just be adjusted. Let that moment be about love. You don't know what kid in that classroom. Maybe, maybe that's the gift. Maybe that's what they get. Have, an, have your heart positioned where every gift is a gift of love. 1 Corinthians 13.3 says, if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but, but do not have love, I gain nothing. There's no real, real impact if love isn't at the heart of it. And then, of course, during this time period, we're going to do a lot of eating. So let's make sure that every meal is a feast of love. Let every meal be a feast of love. This is, this is something that the Middle Eastern people understand on a very different level. Um, here in our Western culture, a meal is just something we do. And yes, there can be times that we have significant meals, but it's food's food to us. But in a mi Middle Eastern culture, they recognize that if I'm going to share food under the same roof with you, then to them that says we're good, all is at peace. And in fact, when, when the, the NATO authorities try to get everybody together to have a big state dinner and be able to get all the heads of state together, when you have these warring factions, especially from the Middle East, show up, for a long time they would refuse to go to any of the dinners. And it would just befuddle the people from the West. Like, I don't get it. It's just a dinner. You, you can sit across the room. But in their culture, if they're going to eat together that says we're good, 
I am participating in something that is crucial to life with you and therefore we're good. And so what it ended up happening is they would, their representatives would show up and they would attend the dinner and their plate would be set and they would fast and they would not eat. They would sit there and be under the roof, but they would not put food in their mouths because that was a declaration of peace that we are good. See this truth that sharing food together, it should be this bonding moment. Man, here in the West, man, if we get an opportunity to have a free meal, well, we'll take it. We don't care who they were mad at. Like, I just won't look at them. I'll just sit with my back. I'm going to eat my chicken. I'm going to get my free chicken and they can forget about it. But man, it, it, in, in Jesus' time, it was precious. In fact, we see in the scriptures, the early church, they lived this, this moment out in Acts chapter 2, verse 46. It says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Sharing a meal together in love actually can, can invite a, a place of revival, can actually show a demonstration of peace. And this was something they didn't do periodically. The scripture said that they did it daily, that they shared bread, something that's spiritual and rich. As you're having meals with your family and your friends, just let a little heart shift be that it's not an obligation. It's not one more thing we have to squeeze in. And if we don't go to grandma, she's going to be so offended and her feelings are going to be hurt and we're just going to go over there. No, just shift and make it about love. The truth is, that's why you're there. You love grandma. You care about her. Let it really be about love. Let it be about love and care for everybody under that roof. It'll change Christmas. And we need to make sure to let every carol be a song of love. You've heard your, the Christmas carols your whole life. You know them by heart. We don't need the words on the screens for the Christmas carols. We can all sing them by heart. Sometimes we can get into those things that it's just kind of so normal. We forget that, it's, that, that actually singing those things should, should be an expression of worship, should be an expression of love. In fact, the psalmist writes in Psalm 89 verse 1, says, I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth, I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I'm going to declare it to every generation. The Christmas carols are a beautiful example of that. There's one of the few things that's left in our very contemporary culture that we still share that's been passed on from generation to generation to generation is our Christmas carols. The truth is, here at Celebration Church, we don't sing very many songs that are over 12 years old. But when it comes Christmas time, no, we connect with the truth that this has been the best news humanity's ever heard for two millennia now. And then the last one, and this is the one that where we can honestly get in the biggest routine with, it's let every Merry Christmas be a declaration of love. 
Now I know during this time of year, and especially over the last few years, Merry Christmas itself um, can even be somewhat controversial. It can be a place where that it even be a, a battleground. Um, I was I was at Walmart yesterday. Had to run some errands, and there were people you know collecting toys, and and then the, you know the people ringing the bell, and so I was going through and and um, go through, and the you know one of those people says you know happy holidays and you know this is a holy day for me I'm happy about it shouldn't bother me in the least but there's a thing in the back of my mind that I know why you're saying that that somebody told you you have to say that instead of Merry Christmas and then it irritated me and so I found myself and I knew I was going to be preaching this I'd already turned my notes in I knew I was going to be preaching on this and it still it came up in me and I'm not a snarky person by nature um, especially to a stranger but I found this thing that I just wanted to turn to this person and say, Merry Christmas, and which had been the direct opposite of a declaration of love. I'd have been being a jerk. And so in this space that it was just like, oh. and so many times the, the battle can take the real joy and the love out of it. And for you and I, Merry Christmas should be a declaration of love and a declaration of the real heart and purpose of Christmas. Because as we break down Merry Christmas, um, first off we see the word Merry, which you and I, we don't use that word. I bet you didn't use Merry all by itself this whole week. I bet you didn't somebody say, how are you doing? And go, well, I'm pretty Merry. You didn't do it. Nobody saw you maybe being a little frustrated and going, are you okay? Is everything all right? You're normally really merry. <laughs> we don't use it. We don't use it. And you, you look at the, the, the definition of merry, and it means to be full of cheerfulness or having a joyous disposition. This isn't just having joy over something. This is having a joyous disposition that just your outlook on life is joyous. And so here we are all of a sudden we say, okay, we need to change our outlook on life because of Christmas. Well, why would we change our outlook on life? Why would we just be joyful in general about everything, about the fact that we're alive because of Christmas? Well, Christmas is actually a compound word. It's Christ in mass. And of course, Christ isn't Jesus's name. It's his title. His name is Jesus. His title is Christ. Christ means Messiah, means Savior. In fact, in Acts, then we see a moment where Paul is having to to tell the Jews and encourage the Jews that Christ is Jesus, the scripture said. They're not necessarily one and the same. They believed in a Christ. They believed in a Messiah. They just didn't believe it was Jesus. And so... On this, we have to understand that at Merry Christmas, be joyous because of Christ. Christ, our, there's a Savior. That no matter what you're dealing with in life, a Savior is to be thought of. And mass comes from the Latin word for mission or sending. So it is be joyous because Christ has been sent. So now all of a sudden we think about it. You can have a joyous disposition because you have a savior that's come to you. 
no matter what you're facing in life, no matter how tight your finances are, no matter how stressed your calendar is, no matter how crazy things are in your family life, you can have a joyous disposition because your Savior has been sent to you. All of a sudden now, Merry Christmas is very, very different. It's not just something we say or don't say. It is something that is to recalibrate us, that I can have an overall joyous outlook because Christ has come. 1 Corinthians 13.1 says, but if I speak with the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And verse 13 says this, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Love is what carries us forward. Our bottom line is, is that love is the why of Christmas. If we forget love, we forgot the why. God so loved that he gave. And as you and I operate in every aspect of this season in love, that is where the real celebration takes place. Thank you for listening to this message from Celebration Church. You can keep up with all that God is doing here at Celebration by following us on Facebook and Instagram.